When I was growing up, Saturday mornings were cartoon time. I'd be up before everyone else in the house, sitting with a bowl of cereal in front of the TV, watching Gummy Bears, Looney Tunes, Muppet Babies, Animaniacs, and on and on. And every so often, I still watch them in colour-soaked, blissful nostalgia. They're a part of me. And that's something today's guest, David Feiss, hears a lot. People told me, they said, you are part of my childhood. You're an important part of my childhood. And it means an awful lot to me. David is an animator who's done so many cool things. He worked on the Jetsons revival in the 80s. He co-animated the pilot for Ren and Stimpy. He was nominated for an Emmy for the opening titles of the ALF animated series. But on today's episode, we're looking at one particular show, a show that David created that kids all across the world sat down to watch on their Saturday mornings. That show, Cow and Chicken. This tastes like it has a bug in it. Well, I don't see no bug, chicken. Well, look a little closer. I'm Liam Garrity. It's time to meet your maker. <coughs> Excuse me. Meet your maker. David Feist grew up in Sacramento, California, and he was drawing from a very early age. When I was my son Harrison's age, actually, uh, it was five. That's when I started getting people saying, this guy's an artist. I had a teacher tell me that. So it was like uh, people were starting to notice. So it kind of made me feel like I want to be an artist because they were noticing that, that I like to draw. When I was 12, I, I discovered a 8mm camera that my parents had used when I was a baby. And then they put it in, you know, once I got not cute stage anymore, they didn't take any more home movies. And it was in the closet, and I discovered this, and I had this instruction manual with it, and said it had single-frame capabilities for animation. And I go, okay. I'd been wanting to do animation. I'd seen animation. I wanted to do it. I didn't know the first thing how to do it. And then there it was, single-frame for animation. There was still a lot of figuring out to do, though. Well, because there were no books on animation that I could find, it was all experiments. And the first time I, that I tried a film, I, th I was thinking about how, how long are, is a drawing held for? And I, I thought, six sounds about right. So when, it, when, when I developed the film and it came back, it was real choppy. It was real, you know, staccato. So I figured, that's eh, not six. So I went down from there. I got a sound camera when I decided, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 17 and I, I, I need to go to Los Angeles and get a, get a job working in animation. So I'm going to need to be professional so this silent film's not going to cut it. So I needed to get a, a modern 8mm camera with sound. So we did. And he didn't waste any time getting his project started. I animated uh, Maxwell Silver Hammer, the, the Beatles song. I was always you know, a big Beatles fan. And it was such a, such a visual song. But as she's getting ready to go, a knock comes on the door. Bang, bang, Maxwell Silver Hammer came down upon her head. Bang, bang, the song is pretty, you know, it's pretty colorful. Storyboarded it out, and uh, then I animated it. And it took me 10 months to animate it. I had a system of animation where I had acetates, where I could do the, the whole process, because I did f eventually get a book. It was it talked about the process. 
how you you animate on paper and then you you trace it with ink and then you turn it over and paint it on the opposite side and shoot it over a background. So, I, but I only had eighty of these acetates, and so after each scene that I would ink and paint and then shoot, I'd go to the sink and wash it off and start again. It took David about a year to finish. At this stage, he's nineteen. My aunt had a contact with somebody that had worked at Hanna Barbera at some point in the past. And called her. She, you know, she said, "Hey, you know, you should. If you have somebody that has a portfolio, you should have them c- come down to Los Angeles. And this is the person you talk to." So I made arrangements, came down with my projector, and projected the film against a wall at, at Hanna Barbera. Hanna Barbera is the legendary animated studio that's home to the Flintstones, Yogi Bear, and Scooby Doo. I grew up watching Hanna Barbera. My earliest memories of, of television animation was Quick Draw McGraw. David was this kid from Sacramento who just walked into one of the biggest animation studios in the world, pulled out his 8mm projector, screened his film, and, well, they hired him the very same day. It was surprising, yeah. I, I did not expect it. I thought they would, you know, I thought they would give me advice on where to go to college or something. And they, they, they hired me, yeah, that, that day, actually. Oh, it was brilliant. I, it was like so ex- very exciting for, for being so young and, and wanting to be in, in animation, to be working at a, at a place that, that I knew. I, I knew of, this, of, the, of the history. And everybody was really kind to me. I was the youngest person at the time working there, and they were really quite kind to me. So it was great. Over the years, David worked on the likes of the Jetsons and the Flintstones and basically all of those in-house created shows. But in 1991, he co-animated the pilot for a seminal cartoon of the 90s, a show that signaled the arrival of a new type of cartoon, Ren and Stimpy. It was fundamental shift, actually. Before that show, creators didn't have their own show on the air. It was basically like Hannah Barbera would, would internally go to NBC and say, this is the shows we want to do. And NBC would say, okay, that's great. And that's what they did. Like Scooby-Doo was internally created uh, – Flintstones. It wasn't like outside people came into Hanna Barbera. It was like they they created these. So when that show came out, it proved that creators could do something that was totally different. But yeah, it was different, <laughs> totally different. It was like not mainstream. You can say that again. First, I'm going to tear your lips out. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Stylistically, it was totally different. Yeah, well, the first first season, I directed Nurse Stimpy, that that episode, that particular one, which was really silly. That was it. I, I, you know, I animated on the pilot, had did quite a bit on the pilot, and then that directed the one episode. When you had worked on Ren and Stimpy, like, did you have any kind of inklings and then go, you know what, I like I'd like to do my own creator oh, own own show? Oh yeah, absolutely, because it was more in, in line of the kind of style that I draw. Because I've always had the style that I draw, I've, I kind of grew up with that, influenced by Mad Magazine. I was like a big Mad Magazine fan, as well as an animation fan. I love old Warner Brother cartoons, but Mad Magazine for me was what really pushed my style. So yeah, I wanted to I wanted to continue that. David would get his chance with the arrival of a series called What a Cartoon. It was basically an animation showcase, a kind of testing ground where they invited animators to pitch their own short. I got a call from somebody at Hanna-Barbera and said, Hey, you know, this is like right up your alley. Do you have any, any projects? 
And I always had projects. I met with the recruiter who was looking for possible pilots, met him at a coffee shop, showed some ideas. And I had just written The Cow and Chicken like as a, as a book, an unpublished book. It was a story that I told my daughter when she was six, Sarah. She's uh, now 30 so and a, and a mother herself. But uh, at the time, I used to read her stories. And one night, I was too, too tired to read. And I made up the story of Cow and Chicken. And she liked it so much that the next day, I decided, I'm going to draw this one out. And so it was within maybe a week when I had created this book, when I got this call about, yeah, you should look at what a cartoon is looking for. You know, Cartoon Network is looking, Hannah Rivera is looking for new pilots. So I said, I got this. And they go, we like it. <laughs> and within a few weeks, I had a deal. And That's got to be the fastest. It was quick. Yeah. Deal for the pilot. Yeah. And then with the pilot, you know, I, I didn't have a story. I just had this little book. When I And the book is not like the series or even like the pilot. Uh, they were not brother and sister. They were boyfriend, girlfriend. It was a little okay. different. So I changed a lot of things when I, when I started seriously thinking about how I'm going to storyboard this thing. Yeah, and then brought the devil in and all that kind of good stuff. Cow and Chicken was born. Tell me about the day I was born. The day you were born? Oh, honey, what a day that was. The premise was cow and chicken or brother and sister. Mama had a chicken. Mama had a cow. Dad was proud. He didn't care how. Real mom and dad that you only see from the waist down, which was based basically on the old Warner Brother cartoons that never showed the parents or adults from the, they only showed their legs. And my joke was they didn't have tops in my show. <laughs> they didn't have tops. And in the pilot, it's revealed that they're, they're missing the tops. But uh, for the rest of the series, I kept that quiet. And I would just re- reveal it by having their shadow only cast halfway. <laughs> That's brilliant. It's funny. I used to talk I mean, a lot of a lot of kids that grew up watching the show. I, recently, I was in Chile where people were asking. They brought me down to talk about cow and chicken. It was I had a really wonderful time. It was great. They're wonderful there, and, but they were really bothered by the fact they couldn't see the parents' tops, and they kept asking, <laughs> "What do they look like?" And there was one episode where there was a science project where Cow had she had a, a top of two adults that were her parents, like, <laughs> and they, everybody thought, "Okay, that's the parents." <laughs> Chicken, you have a baby sister. <laughs> that was the happiest day of my life. <laughs> it wasn't a totally smooth ride, though. One of the characters, known simply as the red guy, was clearly the devil and didn't seem to have a fondness for wearing clothes. Hello, it's me, the devil. I stand for all that is bad. <laughs> also, I'm naked. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, the original title of the pilot was Cow and Chicken Go to Hell, because they go to hell, then and, and they meet the devil. And, well, why can't we... I was told, you can't call it that. I understand. It makes perfect sense. It was called No Smoking. It was about, you know, the, the devil character, the only way that he could, like, mess with these characters is they did something wrong, and smoking was wrong, and it's the moment that Chicken started smoking... That's when he grabs him. And then Super Cow has to come rescue him from hell. Cigarette! Chicken? 
Hey, sure. Don't take it. It's not the right thing to do. And Mom says to stay away from big naked guys. Back off. I'm a big chicken. Think I'm a little chicken? No, I'm big. Gotcha. Well, when, when it became a series, I was told he could never be called the devil. He had to be have other names, which was better because then it was more creative because I could give him names that were reflected the, the fact he didn't wear pants. Like Ben Pants and Officer Pantsofsky and Ivan Pants. So there was like certain angles that were probably not a good idea. But I still would try to push that anyway because I just remember, you know, when I was a kid, there's nothing sillier than a butt. You know what I mean? <laughs> Chicken continued their surreal adventures for 52 episodes across four seasons. They weren't scripted. They were, they were ideas, basically, that uh, a lot of them were based on childhood experiences I had, like faking an eye exam to get glasses because I thought it would make me look smarter uh, or be smarter to have glasses. <laughs> so I threw the exam. <laughs> so I did an episode about that. And also the mystery of what's in the girls' bathroom. When you're 11 years old, it's a big mystery. Yeah, so I did an episode about that. But they, they were storyboard-driven. So there would be like a, a premise, an outline that would be two or three pages at most. And that's how it was developed. We would do a seven-minute cartoon based on that. And, and you know, the way it was working, too, that I would have to create eight ideas for every two that were put into production. So there's a lot of story ideas. And this happens for every production, every film, every series. You have much more than ever that ever gets produced. Another standout area for Cow and Chicken was the voice acting. Yeah, well, there was a, like a casting call. When I did the pilot, I didn't know anybody. You know, I because I I'd never directed before that. I mean, I, I was an animator for the most part. Mostly animation for 15 years at that point in my career. We had a casting call and I met all these different actors come through. And there was one actor that came in and read for all the parts. And he was the best for all the parts. Like he was the best chicken. He was the best cow. He was the best red guy. His name is Charlie Adler. Oh, thank you so much for saving my butt, chicken. And Charlie, he's become a really good, close family friend. I had to, to go to bat for Charlie to be all of the parts. They said, well, you know, Mel Blanc did it, but nobody else does that. And they said, well, listen. And everybody agreed, yes, that is the best chicken, that's the best cow, and that's the best red guy. And he would do them in order, talking to each other. It's like insane, his ability. Come now, my little metal muffin. <laughs> my studio is just over here. <laughs> Ooh, oh, you know it, baby. Ooh, let me have it. Let me have it. It had the entire cast present at all times. It's not like in feature film where it's done individually. So there was a synergy that happened that was pretty magical. It had a really good cast. The show started in 1997 and finished up in 1999. It was the greatest. Yeah, it was wonderful. Well, it's made me known. I mean, like I can go any place in the world. And most people have heard of the show. Like I went all the way, you know, to Chile, and and I've been to you know Italy and and Mexico. It's just it's all over. So that's it's a wonderful it's a wonderful feeling knowing that people it was their childhood. In fact, you know, it was just very recent that I was in Santiago, and people told me they said you are part of my childhood. You're an important part of my childhood, and it means an awful lot to me. 
it being your first creator-owned show, you know, were you sad to finish that up? I know you were moving oh, on yeah. to I Am Weasel, but... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I've, I've missed it ever since. I, it was so much fun. I mean, I have to ask, in these days of reboots, do you ever think of bringing it back at some point or doing a once-off? Or? Yeah, if Cartoon Network was interested, I would definitely be interested. You know, Charlie can still do the voice. He's, saw him, we saw him two weeks ago, and he's still <laughs> good as ever. Meet Your Maker is produced and hosted by me, Liam Garrity. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. I'll be back in two weeks' time, but in the meantime, do me a favor and spread the word that Meet Your Maker is back. And a nice review on iTunes wouldn't hurt either. 